0: Are you all ready? Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3. I hope you have a Bible with you, something you can open up or something that you can turn on and that you will join me in Exodus chapter 3. When you came in, hopefully you got one of these bulletins on the back of that. There will be some notes that will hopefully guide our time through the Word together this morning. Exodus chapter 3, I am so grateful for Greg and those that serve with him and lead us in worship, and especially in these sweet lights, Kalina, Karina, and Eli, we're proud of you. We are proud of you. It's so easy to sit in the seat and to think, oh, well, just being up on that platform with the microphone in your hand, it's no big deal. And then you get up here and you're looking and everybody's looking at you and you think that every single little imperfection it is magnified. And it can really start to mess with a person's head. So I am so grateful for, especially you three this morning. I think over a period of time, Greg and I have just become oblivious to our failures and our shortcomings. And we don't even recognize them anymore. Greg just sings past them and I just talk faster. So we just uh, do that together. So so grateful that you are here. Like I've already said, Exodus chapter 3. We're going to continue where we've been in the book of Exodus. we have been walking through. I realize that not all of you have been here through every single Time that we have spent together in the word of Exodus. So let me just kind of give a quick recap as we get in here to the text. Because if I don't, if we're not on the same page, I'm afraid we may miss some of the emphasis that Exodus 3 is trying to present. Exodus 3 reminds us, or it, it is the story of the calling of Moses. Now, Moses came about because there was a guy named Abraham. God comes to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 and he says, Abraham, I'm going to make you and your descendants into a great nation. Abraham's like, that's cool, God. I'm wonderful. That's great. So, then through a series of events, um, Abraham and Sarah have a son named Isaac. Isaac has two sons named Jacob and Esau. Jacob has 12 sons, 12 children. And through those 12, he ends up migrating from the land of Canaan to the land of Egypt because of famine and some other events that took place. He ends up going into Egypt. They settle there in Egypt. And then while they're there, the Jewish people, the descendants of Abraham, begin to multiply and they become very, very, very numerous in people. In fact, the Egyptians, they started to worry that, hey, these people may be greater than us. And they may take us over. They may do us harm, and they might not be nice to us. So they devised a plan, and they said, so what we're going to do is we're going to enslave these Jewish people. We're going to make them do what we want them to do. And so for over 400 years, they enslaved the Jewish people, and to the point that The people began to cry out to God and say, God, please save us. God, please bring about a miraculous work in our lives. God heard them and therefore Moses was born. It was all in the plans and the providence of God. Moses is born in a season and in a time that Pharaoh was saying, kill all of the Jewish males that are born except for Moses is saved. He's raised until the age of weaning by his birth parents. And his birth family, and then through a miraculous set of events, he is brought into the house of Pharaoh and raised as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So the grandson of Pharaoh, he's raised in that household till about forty years old. About forty years old, he becomes sympathetic and compassionate to the the plight and the condition of his people. In an act of rage, in an act of self, or in an act of defense, he ends up killing an an Egyptian who is harming one of the fellow Jews. Pharaoh finds out. Pharaoh says, I'm going to kill you. Moses says, not if I can run faster than you. He takes off and he runs to the east. He leaves Egypt and he runs all the way to the land of Midian. And there in the land of Midian, he finds the daughters of Jethro. Ends up settling down in the land of Midian. Marries one of the daughters of Jethro. Has some children. And for the next 40 years, from year 40 to year 80, he is wandering around the wilderness caring for the sheep of his father-in-law until one day he's on the top of a mountain. And on the top of this mountain, he's walking by, and there was this bush. The bush was on fire. He turns aside to see the bush. Now I'm in Exodus chapter 3, the, the first 12 verses. He turns aside to see the bush. God speaks to Moses outside, out from the bush and says, Moses, Moses, take off your feet. You're on holy ground. And then chapter 3 and verse 1 all the way down through verse 12, which is where we at the last time we were together in this book. God comes to Moses and he says, Moses, this is what I want you to do. I have a plan for your life. And so, the last time we were here in Exodus chapter three a couple weeks ago, we talked about how God knows where you are, God knows who you are, and God has a plan for you. Now, this morning, I want us to pick it up in the story in verse 13. Because starting in verse 13, God's going to move from telling Moses, Moses, this is the plan I have for you. And he's going to transition to say, now Moses, I want you to know the plan that I have for my people. So if you'll follow along in your copy of God's word, I'm going to read aloud from mine. And listen to the plan that God has that he is sharing with Moses regarding his people. It says in verse 13 of Exodus chapter 3, it says, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice and to you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But, verse 19, but I know this is God speaking to Moses about his plan for God's people. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold and jewelry and clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians, I pray that God adds understanding and application to His Word this morning. God lays out this plan before Moses. He said, "All right, Moses, I told you what I want you to do. Now I want you to. and I'm going to tell you what I want you to go back and tell the people that I plan to do." And He lays this entire plan out in front of Moses, and Moses, is, I, I can just imagine him up on top up, top, up on top of the mountain, going, "Okay, that sounds good. That sounds good." But then, if you go back up to Verse 13, he says, but you know what, God, if I go to the people and tell them all this, they're going to have some questions. If the rest of our time this morning, we are going to zoom in on verse 14 and verse 15. Because there's a very pivotal question that Moses asked and that God answers. A very pivotal question that I think is one of the most important questions that every single one of us in this room answers on a daily basis. And here is the question. If you look up there in verse 13, again it says, that Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his Name I put there at the top of your notes just kind of the main idea that I want to drive to together this morning. And the question is, who is God? It's the question that we answer, that we ask ourselves and we answer in one way or another every single day. Who is God? God. And Moses is looking at God and saying, God, I am more than happy to go and do what you want me to do. And I'm more than happy to go and tell the people, this is what you want to do. But they're going to ask me who you are. And when they ask me who you are, who do I tell them that you are? And in these next two verses, God gives a description of who God is. And My prayer for us as a church is that we would grasp this view of God, and we would have a higher view of God today than we've ever had before. So notice, notice how he answers. Verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. Am. Now, you or I, in our English thinking and in our Western context, we might just pass by on that and say, oh, well, you know what? I am who I am. That may not be good English, but it is good theology. What God is doing right there is God is saying, God is. Now, we don't use that a lot. We don't use that terminology a lot in our, in our lives. But what God is looking at Moses and saying, you know what? It's not a matter that I will be or that I have been or that I could be or I might be. I want you to know when it comes to who I am, I just am. That whole word there, we talked about it Friday night, about the breath of God and the, and the spirit of God. And you going back to the original language and it being the word what? Okay, this was your opportunity. Louder. Louder. What was the word? Ra. Right. The word in the Hebrew was ra. R-W-H, and the reason why it's, it's difficult to pronounce because there's no vowels. Vowels in our, English, or in our English words, vowel is what gives us the flavor to our words. And so when you get to a Hebrew word, and it's R-W-H, and you're like, I don't know how to pronounce that. Well, here in this text, it's the same sort of thing. When God says, I am, and taken from the Hebrew, it is H-Y-H. How do you pronounce H-Y-H? And that is the idea. God is trying to present and saying, you know what? You have no explanation for me. Because I am God. I put there in your notes... uh, talking about the aseity of God. I didn't ask you to spell out aseity because some of you would think, well, I don't know what aseity is. But you know, it's good to be stretched and maybe learn some words that you're not familiar with. The aseity of God is the big theological, seminary, and educational term to talk about the existence of God. The aseity of God tells us that God doesn't need anything to exist. You need oxygen to exist. You need water to exist. You need food food to exist. You need a mother and a father to exist. You need a lot of things to exist and you are dependent upon a lot of things to exist. The aseity of God teaches us that God doesn't need anything. He doesn't need air. He doesn't need water. He doesn't need food. He doesn't need a mama. He doesn't need a daddy. He does not need anything or anyone because God is God. Now, you and I are going to sit here this morning and go, well, I really don't understand how all that works. And that's the point. I don't fully grasp or understand how all of this works. But there's some things that just are. And God looks at Moses and he says, Moses, do you understand? When you go to them, don't tell them that I am the God and explain to me in all these ways. Just go tell them I am who I am. He's undefined By comparison, if you say, Spence, what's your favorite sign of soft drink? And I say, well, Coke. And you say, well, why is it Coke? Well, because I like Coke better than Pepsi or because I like Coke better than Mountain Dew. The way I can explain what I prefer or what I like is in comparison to something else or someone else. Or you may say, well, Spence, who are you? Well, Spence, I am the son of Wayne and Charlotte Ann McConnell. I am the husband of Jaylene McConnell. I am the father of a slew of children. And I am the brother, and I am an uncle, and I am a nephew, and I am a pastor, and I am an electrician, and I am a graduate, and I am this, and I am this. And you have all these ways to describe or define. God says, do you not understand, Moses. I am not defined by comparing me to anything or anybody else. Because I am God and I am other. And there's one other piece of this that I want you to see before we move on past 14. He says, I am who I am. And then in verse 14, at the end, he says, tell the people, I am has sent me to you. Now, many of your Bibles, I don't know how it does in electronic format, but many of your Bibles, the typeset will be different as far as the way the words are printed because they're wanting to make sure that you understand that this is a set-apart language and this is a different kind of language and and it's meant to be different. In other words, I put this in your note, what God is doing is God is self-identifying. I want you to stick with me here for a minute. He's self-identifying. Moses looks at God and says, God, if I go to the people and they say, who are you? Who do I say that you are? Who is God? And God says, I am who I am. God is saying, I identify as God. Now, identity is a big thing in this culture right now. And there's a lot of people running around thinking that they can self-identify and be whatever they want to be. Anytime you hear someone say this is who they are, be careful because they may try to say, I am my own God and I decide who I am. You see, under under the biblical teaching of God, my identity is not based upon what I say about me. My identity is based upon what God says about me. And what does God say about me? God said I've been created in His image. God says that I have been created male and there have been created female. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God says that I am created in the image of God. God says that I am a male created in the image of God. And beyond that, God also gives me other identities. If I am a follower of Jesus Christ and I know that I've been saved, then it tells us in the Gospel of John that I am now called a child of God. God gives me an identity. And there's another identity that God gives us out of the word of God. And that is that you have lost people and you have saved people. Now, some of that sometimes we may say, well, what is the difference between being lost and saved? Well, the difference between lost and saved is that there are some people that have sinned against God. And even though God sent his son to die for their sins, they said, no thanks. We're going to do it our way. We're going to determine what is best for us. We're going to be our own little gods. And they come to the end of their life. And they stand in judgment for God, guilty of sin, and the punishment for that sin against God is eternal separation from God in hell. But then there's other ones that God calls "saved," who are the saved. Those are the individuals that knew they were a sinner that knew they needed to be saved and forgiven of their sins. And they believe that Jesus sent, or that God sent His Son Jesus to die for their sins. And they knew that they weren't good enough by themselves. And they knew they couldn't do enough good things by themselves. And they knew they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew, they knew they were going to stand before God one day. And so they came to the moment in their life that they repented of their sins. They confessed Jesus as Lord of their life. And they asked God to forgive them of their sins. And Jesus came into their heart and came into their life. And they got saved. And God says, those are my identities. People created in my image the personhood of you and I the lost and the saved in this world, and yet so many times we are running around trying to self-identify. There is only one person in the pages of Scripture that has the right and the authority to self-identify, and that is God. Every single one of us in this room, our identity is now rooted in who God is. So what God is doing here in verse 14, he's looking at Moses and he's saying, Moses, I'm going to tell you who I am and this is my identity. And everything else from the Jewish people to Moses to you and I today, everything is a result of the identity of God. Now, we as adults in this room, we look around and we try to say, oh, see, all this younger generation, they have all these issues with identity and they have all these issues with confusion. And you have the whole LB, LGBTC crowd and all that is going on. And we look and say, oh, you know what? They need to get there. They need, they need to understand what's going on. I'm going to. My concern is that all these young people right now in these green, are they green? Adam, green, shirts. They're being taught to question identity because of us adults. Because, of, because they're watching us adults. And they're watching us go to church and identify as a Christian inside here. And then they're watching us go home and watch filth like Game of Thrones and Yellowstone on television. And they see a split Identity. They watch us get around God's people and and talk about how much we love Jesus. And then they watch how we are more devoted to our vocation or more devoted to our possessions than we are to the things of God. And they see us have one identity around these people and a different identity around these people. And yes, they might be expressing it. These young people might be expressing it in a terminology that you and I may not understand and vernaculars that you and I may not get. But the whole concept of saying, I am going to choose who I am is not new. It started back in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve saying, we will be who we are going to be. It continues on even to the life of Moses where God is saying, Moses, you understand your identity is built and rooted in me. And even today where we have adults and we have young people alike trying to say, I'm going to be my own God and choose my own path. So God comes in to Moses and he says, I am who I am. I don't need you to define who I am. I don't need you to affirm who I am. I don't need you to agree with who I am. Because I am. Because God is there's only one figure in the pages of scripture that has the authority to identify however they choose, and that is God. So God begins in the explanation of who He is by saying, Well, God is. But there's another one as you go on to verse 15. And he talks about and God gives a second way of viewing God and First one is God is. The second one I want you to see with me is that God was. In verse 15, it says, God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. Why is he doing that? Well, I want to suggest to you this morning the reason why, Moses, or the reason why God is doing that to Moses is he's wanting to say, Moses, when you go back to the people, you remind them that I'm not a new God. This isn't like a God that started just this last six weeks. I'm not a startup. I'm not one of these uh, uh, fly by the night. I'm not one of those flash in the pans. I'm the same God that's been around from the very beginning of time. Do you realize Moses is God that is talking to you out of the burning bush? I am the God from the beginning. You go to Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, and what does it say? In the beginning God. What that tells you and I is, is that there is There is not any history of humanity apart from God. God is from the beginning of history. And the whole reason why you and I exist in this world at this single moment is because of God. Why? Because God chose to create humanity. Because he chose to create man, because he chose to create you and I, we exist because of God. And so God wants to remind Moses, God, Moses, understand who I am. I just am who I am. And I was from the beginning. Remind them of who I am based upon what I have been. So he gives this, verbi- this, this verbiage, this vernacular here in verse 15. He says, say to the people of Israel, the Lord. Now depending on how your Bible looks, many of your Bibles, there will be a capitalization, capital, big capital L, smaller capital O, smaller capital R, smaller capital D. If I have a Bible that does that, the reason why they do that is, is they differentiate between the names of God. And right there, it is the proper name of God. In the Hebrew tradition, in the Jewish tradition, it's the name that they will only write down because they will not say it because it is such a sacred name. It's the name that we, in our English language, talk about being hyah. Now again, go back to the Hebrew, the problem that you have when you're talking about the Hebrew language is, is that in the original writing of the Hebrew, there were no vowels. So in the writing here, it is Y-H-W-H. Now, we can't really pronounce that. We really don't know how to pronounce that or enunciate that, if you will. So we add some vowels in there to make it make sense. So we take the vows from Jehovah, Adam, to Yahweh, and that's where we come up with the different names of God. So, what God is doing is, God is hearkening back, and He's saying, You know what, the God, the God that your tradition says came to your father Abraham many, many, many generations ago? Yeah, that's me. And you know the guy that told Isaac that he would make him into a numerous generations and he would make them into a numerous people. And, I, and the guy that came to Isaac and confirmed the, the covenant with Isaac that he made with his father Abraham, uh, he, that was me too. And you know the God that led Jacob as he fleed from the wrath of his brother Esau and took him over to his land of his kindred. And I met with him there in Bethel and I said, I'm going to bring you back to this place. Yeah, That, that, that was me too. And you know the God that took care of Egypt, that took care of Joseph as his brothers were selling him to slavery and that he was sold into the house of Potiphar and then he spends over three years in the dungeon there in prison and he thinks that all is lost until somebody has a dream and he interprets the dream and next thing you know, he's the second in command of all of Egypt. And shortly thereafter, the famine comes and the people are dying and Jacob and his entire family are out in the land of Canaan, and they're starving to death except for in Egypt there is food and they just so happen to have Connection. And you know how that providence and that whole idea works? And we sometimes like to call it coincident. God calls it providence. God says to Moses, that, that was me too. And you know, when you were born, Moses, and the two wind wives should have killed you on the spot and they didn't, they should have thrown you in the river and they didn't. Your mother put you in the ba- basket in the river. Not knowing what would happen to you, and the crocodiles didn't get you, and the alligator guard didn't get you, and the pythons didn't get you, and the water buffalo didn't get you. None of that stuff got you. What happened is, is that Pharaoh's daughter just happened to be coming down. She saw you, a Hebrew took pity on you, and that's the only reason why you're still alive today. You remember that God, Moses? Yeah, that, that, that was me too. And Moses, you remember this God that's led you through the wilderness for the last 40 years? That's been me too. You know, sometimes in our Christian walk, we get in a moment, we get in a spot, and all we can think about is how bleak and how dark it is today. And we stop thinking about the faithfulness of God before us. And church, sometimes we need to remember who God was. So what God does in Moses, he says, if you want to go back and you want to tell the people who I am, tell them God is. Remind them God was. I am the beginning of history. I am the reason that you exist. And I am the same God as before. You see, people today try to say, oh, well, you know what? We're going to talk about evolution. And we're going to talk about how we came into existence. And we're going to try to describe ourselves apart from God. Let me teach you a little Latin phrase this morning. I think I've said this before to you. The Latin phrase is this. Ex Nelio, Nelio fit. Out of nothing, nothing comes. What's the point of that, Spence? The point of that, if I take a Ziploc bag and I put me one of them big old nice glazed donuts that Mr. H.A. and Kelly brought in, It's a temptation for us fat boys. and And if I took one of those nice little sweet glazed donuts and I put it in a Ziploc bag, and the entire time I'm standing in front of you, I'm just shaking this Ziploc bag. I can shake that Ziploc bag, and I can shake that glazed donut all I want. But you know what? What will never happen is it will never turn into an apple. It may turn into a waistline, but it will never turn into an apple. And I can shake it, and I can shake it. Why? Because... That is not how it's created to be. So if you and I think, well, over millions and billions of years, we just kind of evolved. I would ask you, evolved from what? Well, Spence, there's this Big Bang theory. Okay, so what was there at the Big Bang? Something has to come from something. Now I know you and I may say, well, we just can't come to the moment where we can just settle on the idea that God always has been, always will be, and always, always is. We just can't understand how to grasp that. Join the club. But either you and I can choose this morning to submit ourselves and say, we're going to trust that God knows what he's doing and God has a plan, or we're going to try to be God's ourselves. So God says, Moses, tell them God is. Tell them God was. And then this third one, tell them God will be. Look at verse 15 again. As Moses is asking God and he's saying, God, who am am I supposed to say sent me? Who am I supposed to say you are? I am who I am. I'm the God of your fathers. I'm the God that was. Verse 15, finishing up the verse, this is my name forever, and thus I'm remembered throughout all generations. He says, remind them that I am the God, not only that is, not only that was, but I am the God that will be. I am the God that will be. So you don't want to know about this God that's going to save you. do you want to know this God that's going to take care of you. You want to know about this God that's going to provide for you. You want to know this God that's going to direct you. That is me. You skip down there and we've already read it, but just let your eyes fall down to verse 19. Because God says, this is what's going to happen. <clears throat> he calls the shot, if you will. He says, but I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. And after that, he will let you go. God is telling them, do you not understand not only that I is, not only that I was, but that I will be. And it's marking the sovereignty of God. We always want to know who's in charge, who's in control. Who's got the power? Who has the authority? All of these questions going around and around and around and around. And yet over and over again, God reminds us through his word of his sovereignty. Sovereignty is just a big word talking about that God is in charge, has the authority and the control at all times. The idea that you think you can get in your vehicle and you can put it in reverse and you can pack out of the parking spot and you can drive down the road. And sometimes if if you're driving as fast as some of my family, um, you think that I'm in control all the time. I'm in control. The reality is, is you and I are not in control of our lives. We don't control the deer that run out in front of us. We don't, cont- we don't control the air that magically slips out of our tires throughout the night. We don't control the professors who give us the pop quizzes. We don't control the problems that seem to sneak up on work. We don't control the diagnosis of the doctors. We don't even control what's going to happen to us this afternoon. But God is. And God will be. God will be. Faithful. God will be true. And God is looking out of the bush at Moses, and he is saying, Moses, when you go back and they have questions, remind them, God will be. God will be faithful to you. If God has been faithful to Abraham, then if God is who God is today, then God will do what God will say say, says he will do tomorrow. But let me remind you of a couple of things that I think is important when we think about who God will be. The first thing is that we need to be reminded of is that God will be judge. God will be judge. Where do you get that from, Spence? Well, let me read for you. You're happy to turn there, but let me read for you out of the book of Revelation. All the way towards the very end of the book of Revelation. We're talking about coming down to the end of this world as we know it. In the book of Revelation, it talks about the judgment of God. Revelation chapter 20 and verse 11, it says, Then I saw a great white throne, and on him was seated on it from his presence. Earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And the books were open. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in it, in the books, according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, He was thrown into the lake of fire. What is that symbolizing? That's symbolizing God judging creation. And those that are lost being assigned to hell for an eternity. So God is reminding Moses and saying, Moses, just the same way, just the same way, I am going to judge the people of Israel, and I am going to deliver my people out of the Egyptian bondage. I want to remind you this morning that that same God will one day judge you and I. Our ultimate judge will not be our teacher. Our ultimate judge will not be our employer. Our ultimate judge will not be our spouse. Our ultimate judge will not be the opinion of other people. Our ultimate judge will be God. And on that day, God knows who is saved and God knows who is lost. It's not a matter of you and I going, God, God, I identify as a saved person. God's not going to say, I don't, uh, I don't care who you identify as. I know where your heart is. And not only will God be our judge, but God will be forever. Revelation 22, verse 5. The judgment has come. The new heaven and the earth has been established. And it says in chapter 22 and verse 5, And the night will be no more. They will need no light, no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. God will be forever and ever and ever. It matters who we think God is. One famous preacher from generations ago said the most important thing about you is what you think about God. And what you think about God or how you would define God will determine the course of your life. So Moses is asking the question to God. God, when I go to the people of Israel and I say, this is what God wants me to do. This is what God wants you to do. They're going to say, well, who is this God? Because in the Egyptian culture at that time, they had a whole slew of gods. They had the God of the NFL. They had the God of the NBA. They had the God of the MLB. They had the God of, you know what I'm trying to say, the God of money, the God of possessions, the God of relationships, the God of pride, the God of fame, the God of opinions. They had all of these gods running around and they're all busy worshiping these gods. And then when Moses says, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say, thus saith this God, they're going to say, who is that God? So God says, tell them. Tell them I'm the God that is. Tell them I'm the God that was. And tell them I'm the God that will be. So how do we apply this then to our lives? <clears throat> Last year we adopted as a church these three core values. We're going to build families. We're going to teach the Bible and we're going to be the church. This whole idea of going through Exodus is talking about what it looks like to be set apart as God's people. So how do we live as a church set apart, prioritizing, building families, teaching the Bible, and being the church? Well, there's several things at the very bottom of your notes and we'll be done. My first recommendation, my first exhortation, my first plea for us this morning is for our families to be focused on God. There's a lot of other things that our families can get focused on. Let us be focused on God. If someone comes back and looks at the things that we spend our time on, let God be the predominant thing that we spend our time on. I'm not saying it has to be at church. I'm just saying, what is it that you're doing with the time of your life? Is it reflective of the people that are devoted to God or reflective of people that aren't? This morning in Sunday school, uh, Mo was talking about this uh, idol. of uh, It was the God of Molech. And the idol of Molech is a, is a is a, metal figure, is a metal structure. It's got the two arms out, and in the belly, as Moe was describing, is where they build the fire. And the idea was, in the child's sacrifice, is out of devotion to the idol Molech, the parents would come and bring their infant children as an act of devotion, and act of worship, and they would place their child on those two arms that are stretched out in that, in that metal idol, and that fire would consume the child. And those of us in this room that have any kind of compassion about us would say, how terrible is that? And I look at that and go, can you imagine the amount of devotion it takes to take a little child and watch the child burn up? They had that much devotion to their idolatry. They had that much devotion to a God that wasn't real, a God that wasn't true, a God that had done nothing for them, a God that wasn't, a God that isn't, and a God that won't be. And yet when we in the church today try to act, pep- try to ask people who say they're Christians to be committed to the church of just a fraction of that, they say, well, I have my own idea and you can't judge me. And Because we're not focused on God. The second plea I would have for us this morning is to teach truth. To teach truth. Too many times in this world we are evaluating the things, whether they are right or wrong, based upon what we think or how we feel about it. And if you raise kids for very long, you'll understand those kids will come to a moment in time. They'll say, well, I don't like that idea. I don't think that's the right way to do it. And I don't agree with that. And I have an opportunity as their father to look at them and go, well, that's, that's sweet. That's sweet that you have an opinion. That's sweet that you have a thought. That's sweet that you have feelings and emotions. But at the end of the day, there's only one truth that matters, and there's only one authority that matters, and that is God. And in this season of life, God has placed me in authority over you. And brothers and sisters, we need to understand that truth is not found on the television. Truth is not found in the self-help section of the bookstore. Truth is not found on a screen. Truth is found in the Word of God. Amen. And even if we say, well, you know, it's 50% true, then what is it 50% otherwise? Either it's true or it's not true. we got to teach truth because we have to know truth. So we families focus on God, teaching the truth. And this last way that we go about it is to believe God. Here's the challenge. Moses sees this bush on fire, and every time I think about the bush being on fire, I think about the singing bush out of the three amigos. That's what I think of every time. So as the bush is speaking... And as the bush says, I'm not trying to be sacrilegious. I am God. This is what I want you to do. I, I, you all are probably a lot more spiritual than me, but I'm kind of sitting there going, eh, I don't know. You're a bush, and you're talking. I don't know if it's bush talking or my stomach talking. I don't know if it's the bush talking or the heat making me delirious. I mean, there's a lot of questions I've got when a bush starts talking to me, out in the middle of nothing. Do I believe that's really God or not? And you know what, God, really? A bush? I mean, you couldn't come in a cloud. You couldn't come with a cherry. You couldn't come with an angel. I mean, the, the bush, the bush that's on fire, I mean, that that was the, the big way that you're going to enter into my life at this moment. Uh, there's just lots of things going on. But, but Moses, according to the text, according to the way that I read the text, Moses believed that that was God speaking to him. And then Moses went all the way back to Egypt <coughs> And he gathers all those leaders together and he says, all right, guys, here's how it's going to work. God is going to use me to lead all of these people out of Egypt to the promised land. And they're looking and going, how do you know that, Moses? Well, because God spoke to me out of a bush. <laughs> oh. Oh. And and remind us again who you are, Moses. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You're the guy that's gone for the last 40 years and running away. And why are you running away? Oh, because you're the same guy that killed the Egyptian and made Pharaoh mad. Oh, yeah, you're the same guy that the 40 years before that grew up in the palace, kind of as a vernacular in Spence terminology, the silver spooner, right? The uppity up. You're you're one of those guys. And so all of a sudden, Moses, you spent the first, first 40 years, in the Pharaoh's house, not doing anything that we're doing. Then you kill an Egyptian, then you run off for 40 years, and now you show up 80 years later at the age of 80, and you're like, oh, God spoke to me out of a bush. And can you imagine the people going, sure. And some of the same challenges we have today. When people says, thus saith the word of the Lord, we have people that are questioning the speaker, And we have people that are questioning the author. And church, the question that we have to answer every single day is, do we believe that God is who he says he is? Because at the end of the day, your belief is not based upon the speaker. Your belief is not based upon your opinions. It is not based upon the logical, rational way of explanation. The question is, is do you believe? in God. Who is God to you? Would you bow your heads with me?